Ministries and Intimate Local Christian Church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 makes it clear. It says, For in Jesus Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is the Christ, which means he is the Jewish Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the spiritual king of Israel. He is the Alpha and the Omega, which means he is the beginning and the end. He is the great I Am, which means he has always existed. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the light of men. And in him there is no darkness at all. He is omnipotent, which means he has all the power. And that means he has enough power to come to earth as 100% God, taking on the form of man to become 100% human as well. And it's a, both a pleasure and a blessing to worship the one and only true God. Now why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, you'll learn the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. God provides this ministry as a mental sanctuary, a refuge where you can learn supernatural truth directly from God, who is happy to provide divine solutions for your human problems. The Lord wants a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with you. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verses 14 to 16 say this, Therefore, divinely loved ones, you divinely loved believers in Christ, while you look for a new heaven and a new earth to come from God, keep on being diligent to be found by him in a state of peace when he comes back, both at the exit resurrection of the church and at the second coming, being found spotless, and being found blameless. And that spotlessness and blamelessness is a gift from God. It's not something that you do. It's not something that you work at. Second Peter 3.15 And regard the patience of our Lord as his desire for you to come to salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him by God, wrote to you in letters that became biblical. Second Peter 3.16 as in all his letters, in which some things are hard to understand, which the untaught, the untaught false teachers, who are unstable, 
distort, just as they pervert the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. Barah Ministries exists to provide you with unperverted truth. Well, why do Christians study the Word of God? We get to know the Lord Jesus Christ by studying the Bible because it is His exact thinking revealed. And since the Bible is truth, it's something you can count on. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus Himself says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. However, beware of false teachers teaching false things. Always compare what you learn at Barah Ministries and in the world with what the Bible has to say. Acts chapter 17 verse 11 says this, Now the Jewish believers at Berea were more noble-minded than those believers in Thessalonica, for they received the word of God with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see whether the things Paul and Silas were teaching were true. You have to examine your teachers because your teachers affect you. You know, one of the things that I, I notice is that there are a lot of people who make the news their source of truth. And the news, you know, as a broadcast trained person, I know that the news is passing off 1% of life as if it's 100% of life. And it's not so unusual that people who are always watching this, the news have this really negative view of life. And they are the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket people. Oh, the world is, you know, is all coming to an end. Well, if you expose yourself to that all the time, that's exactly, that's the only view you can have. One of the greatest things I've ever done is I just don't watch the news. And I was afraid when I stopped watching the news that I was going to miss something. Yeah, and I was right. I'm missing all the misery that's being passed off as the way life really is when it isn't that way at all. So now, God has an enemy. Who is God's enemy? God's enemy is Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. Satan exists, even though 60% of believers in Christ don't think he does. And that number keeps going up and up and up and up. Why? Because it's not being taught. What's in the Bible is not being taught in Christian churches around the world. He is a creature. He is not a symbol of evil. He is not a concept. He isn't a cartoon character with red epidermis and a pitchfork. He's a perfect Gorgeous, well-dressed, former officer angel, brilliant, genius creature. And his strategy against the human race is religion. He deceives people into following false teachers and gets them to believe false things and to worship false gods. When as believers in Christ, we follow the Lord's suggestion in Matthew chapter 4, Verse 10, which says this, Jesus said to Satan, Get out of here, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan wants us to serve him. He wanted Jesus Christ to serve him. And Jesus Christ says, Sorry, buddy, no way. Satan and his thoughts ought not be listened to and are to be rejected. Today's Bible lesson, do you have the discernment to recognize counterfeits to Christianity?
Do you have the discernment to recognize counterfeits to Christianity? Not if you read Google. I was a little nauseous all this week, and I couldn't figure out why, and it was because I was reading Google and looking up all the things that people say about Jesus Christ and all the things that people say about the Bible in Google, and you want to talk about a source of misinformation, it's pathetic. So the question I have for you is, who are the false teachers in your life? What false teaching have you adopted that is shipwrecking your spiritual journey? Paul's letter to the Colossians is written to a group of believers in Christ who are doing very well in their newly forming spiritual lives. And as we transition to chapter 2 of this letter, Paul issues warnings to the believers in first century Colossae, Laodicea, and Aeropolis that are warnings just as relevant today as they were back then. In today's lesson, ask yourself, how good are you at spotting counterfeits to Christianity? Because let's, let's face it, when you get money, that money's either real or counterfeit. Well, when you get information, that information's either real or counterfeit. Do you have the discernment? Do you have the ability to know the difference between a fake and the truth? Because if I'm going to fake something with you, I'm going to put so much truth in it that you can't perceive the falseness of it. So, how good are you at spotting counterfeits to Christianity? Well, let's hear some music. Truth is 100% true. Lies are 100% false. Truth and lies help us look at life in black and white. People don't want to look at life in black and white, so they choose to think in gray. They say, it's all relative. No, it isn't. Truth and lies are all absolute. So gray is black with a pretty dress on. A deceptive pretty dress. Well, let's listen to the group Casting Crowns who tell us what comes from God, the voice of truth. this boat of men under the crashing waves to step out of my comfort zone into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is and he's holding out his hand but the waves are calling out my name and they laugh at me reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed Ways they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you never win. You never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, Do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says, This is for my glory. Out of all 
grateful heavenly father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the word of god father thank you for the adversity and the tribulation you allow in our lives you do it to develop toughness 
that allows us to persevere. Toughness that demonstrates character to weather the storms of life without fainting in our souls. We thank you for the answers the truth provides to counteract the lies we experience in Satan's kingdom from false teachers and their false teaching. And we thank you for the spiritual wisdom you're providing today, courtesy of God the Holy Spirit's guidance. Wisdom that gives us a deeper understanding of your magnificence, your plan for mankind, and your personal plan for each one of us. Open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears so that we can receive the word implanted. Help us to hear what God the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Let your word sink in and let it save our souls. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. I didn't hear you. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, do you have the discernment to recognize counterfeits to Christianity? Do you have the discernment to recognize the counterfeits to Christianity? Well, welcome, ladies, to the Bible study. We're studying one of the letters in the New Testament of the Bible. It's uh, Paul writing a letter to a group called the Colossians. And the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians is similar to a passage Paul wrote to the churches at Galatia. And Galatia is modern-day Turkey. Now, the Galatian churches were well-established, and they were doing well in their spiritual lives, until false teachers, with their false teaching, crept in to pervert the churches, infecting them with legalism. And that's what happens in our lives. We, whenever we're going down the right path, something comes in from the outside. Some false teacher with false teaching comes in from the outside to steer us off in another direction. Well, what is legalism? What is this thing that infected the churches at Galatia? Legalism is adding to the perfection that is Christianity with an over-focus on the rules. It's turning Christianity into a perversion of self-righteous superiority and into a series of steps we could never follow successfully. I don't know whether you notice it or not, but people tend not to follow the rules. You know, if I make a rule, and I've told you this many times, if I make a rule in my house that says, don't touch my Snickers bar that's in the refrigerator... One of the things I know is going to happen right away is if Snickers bar is going to be gone. Because people love breaking rules. And so legalism is taking this perfect Christianity and adding all this stuff to it, which puts people in a position not to be able to do the thing that is to be done. And mo virtually every religion is legalistic. It's if you follow this set of rules, then God's going to like you a lot. God loves you unconditionally, and no rules that you follow is going to make him love you any more than he already does. So what's the difference then between the Colossian believers and the Galatian believers? Because Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he wrote to the Colossians. But what's the difference? The Galatian believers embraced the false teaching 
And Paul got furious, really upset about it. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, he screamed at them. He said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Because he spent all this time establishing the truth in the church and just very easily they embraced the falseness right after they had gotten the real truth. Those of you who are parents, you will experience this as soon as you send off send your kids off to college, where you've been working with them for 18 years, teaching them a path, and within one semester, all the teachers at college will take their brain and turn it upside down and make them forget everything they've learned in the 18 years. So later in the letter to the Galatians, Paul regained his composure. Here's what he said to the Galatians in chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. He said, you Galatian believers were running your spiritual life race very well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Well, it was the false teachers and their false teaching that were the hindrance. The Galatians willingly listened to false teachers and adopted false teaching. Not so for the Colossians. Galatians chapter 5, verse 8. This persuasion from false teachers did not come from the Lord Jesus Christ who calls you to a so great salvation. No, the persuasion came from false teachers with false teaching. So Paul introduces a great analogy here. False teaching is like leaven when we are baking. Galatians chapter 5 verse 9, a little leaven. Just a little false teaching leavens, that is, perverts the whole lump of dough. And the whole lump of dough in this is your spiritual life. Hanging around with bad friends at school will get you in trouble. And it only takes one lousy decision to ruin things for you. And uh, we just heard on, uh, I just heard on the news this morning, and actually it wasn't the news, it was the sports, because if it was the news, then I would be listening to the news, and you would say, well, you just said the news was lousy. No, it was the sports. But there's a really good basketball player that plays for the Memphis Grizzlies. His name is Ja Morant, and he just got suspended by his team for having a firearm in a public place. And now he's probably going to get suspended for a lot of games. Well, that really hurts his team. So what did he do? Here this guy is who, who is considered a basketball god, and he makes one stupid decision, and it can ruin your career. One stupid decision. He'll be, he won't be remembered for his basketball. He'll be remembered for that one stupid decision that he made. And that's what happens so often in the world. So a little leaven, just a little false teaching, perverts the whole lump of dough, which is your spiritual life. So here's my question for you. How much falsehood is okay for your life? How, much, how many lies do you want to tolerate in your life? Well, it's funny to me how people expect complete truth in their relationships, yet they don't expect complete truth in their spiritual lives. They're willing to put up with the lies of religion, willing to adopt these lies and to form a counterfeit spiritual life, doing little work to investigate 
real spiritual truth. What people do today is whatever I'm doing is spiritual. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. That word spiritual, that idea of a spiritual life is something specific and it connects to God, the Holy Spirit. You don't get to make that up, but people do. And as a result, most people, and I do mean most people, settle for counterfeit spiritual lives. Galatians 5.10. I, Paul, have confidence in you Galatian believers who are in union with the Lord that you will adopt no other view but the truth. But the ones who are disturbing you, the false teachers with their false teaching, will bear judgment, whoever they are. Paul has more confidence than I do about people who go off the rails. He must believe the things that the Lord teaches about unconditional love. So as we begin the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians, this group of believers in three home-based churches that are off to a great start, Paul issues two warnings in verses 4 and 8 because he doesn't want them to get off track like the Galatians did. All right, so this is the passage we're studying today, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Here it is. I, Paul, want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. And you remember that the believers in Laodicea were a wealthy group of people who were so wealthy they didn't think they needed God anymore. And they get ripped pretty good in Revelation chapter 3, Colossians 2.2. 2 that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. Colossians 2.3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here's the first warning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I'm with you, Colossian believers in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Colossians 2.7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And here's the second warning, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. All right, so let's see what God is telling us about false teachers and their false teaching in this passage. And you know what, honestly, I don't think too many people stop to think about who the false teachers are in their lives. And I've, told, I've given you the diet analogy you know, we, want, we, we, we gain a few too many pounds, and so we want to go on a diet, and so we adopt some program 
we pay for the program, we don't lose a pound. As a matter of fact, we gain weight. And I don't think we think of that as, oh, I, I paid a false teacher to give me false teaching that did not work. And so then we'll go find another false teacher with their false teaching who will it not work again. And then pretty soon we just get discouraged. Well, I can't lose weight. It could never be that I could lose any weight. So let's see what God's telling us about false teachers and false teaching in this passage. Because the warnings aren't just for believers in the first century Colossian church. The warnings are for you as well. You have false teachers in your life who are teaching you false things. Wait, excuse me? You don't need warnings? Ah, well, have you ever read a horoscope? False teaching. Have you ever visited a psychic? Demonic false teaching. Have you ever thought that going to a psychic would be a little harmless fun? It's demonic. Have you ever attended a Bible lesson and received a message that God is sending you personally with the, with the message? Do you know what it takes to be saved? Do you even care? Have you been part of a religion? And one of the things that's funny to me about people who are religious, people who are part of religions, the religions teach a certain amount of things, and eventually people are pretty smart enough to realize that some of that stuff is just off. Well, if the stuff is off, it's a lie. If it's a lie, it's a lie mixed with truth. And so what do people do when they experience that? They drift away from it. And then they feel bad, and then they come back to it because they think God's mad at them. And then they hear the same crap, and the crap's not believable. And as we get older and we get smarter, we know the crap's not believable. So what do we do? We wander away from it again. That's not what you do with truth. That's what you do with lies. And so everything becomes more important than that religion. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it would be nice if you just stopped the religion, but that's not what happens. What happens is people substitute something else for the religion because we know deep down inside that we are spiritual beings. We know that. You know why we know that? Because God planted that in us. And that spiritual being in us needs to be fed. So, do you need this? Yeah, you do. The warnings here are for you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Remember the warning, I say this so know that, that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. That's what people are doing all the time. They are deluding you. And their argument has to be persuasive. If the argument's not persuasive, you're not going to believe it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy an empty deception according to the traditions of men and according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. And if you really stop to examine a lot of the things that people believe from religion, what you'll notice is that it's men creating things and passing them off to you as if God is sending those things to you. All right, so let's look at the passage one more time, but this time we're going to look at the passage 
as it is translated in the Koine Greek, which is the language of the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I want you believers in Christ at Colossae to know how great a struggle I, Paul, have on your behalf. And for those believers in Christ who are at Laodicea, and as for as many believers in Christ who have not personally seen me face to face, including the believers at Heropolis. Colossians 2.2. I'm struggling and striving so that your new self hearts may be encouraged by God. Notice the passive voice here. This is something that you, you won't see in most of the translations, that a lot of the things that are being said in the Bible are in the passive voice. And in the passive voice, the subject is being acted upon. And you are the subject that's being acted upon. So I'm struggling and striving so that your new self hearts. What is that? When you become a believer in Christ, the old self is crucified and you become a new spiritual species. And so you have a new heart, the new self heart. I'm struggling and striving, that's Paul saying it, so that your new self heart may be encouraged by God. You're being acted upon as they are knit together in unconditional love by God. Again, the passive voice. So that you may have all the spiritual riches that come from the full assurance of a complete understanding that results from a true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ indwelling you. The true knowledge of the Christ himself. He is the Jewish Messiah. Colossians 2, 3, the Christ. And whenever you see that, that's not Jesus' last name. That's a reference to him as the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, in whom are hidden on deposit all the treasures of spiritual wisdom and all the knowledge worth having. Colossians 2.4, the warning. I, Paul, say this, and what he's referring to when he says this is the things in the previous series of verses. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive, meaning fine-sounding arguments. Persuasion is fine-sounding arguments. You young girls, boys are going to be giving you persuasive, fine-sounding arguments in your ear. And if you don't learn how to defend yourself, from those fine-sounding arguments when they're telling you how pretty you are and how much they love you and you believe it, it's a problem. False teachers with false teaching. And see, we don't think that this applies to us, but it does, and it's happening every day all the time. People that you interact with at school or at work are telling you their fine-sounding, persuasive arguments. And what do we say? Instead of investigating it, we say, ah, well, you never know. You can know. You don't place your confidence, your faith in things that you don't examine. Colossians 2.5 For even though I, Paul, am absent in body, Nevertheless, I am with you, Colossian believers in spirit. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. I am rejoicing 
because I am seeing your good discipline from faith in Christ and your stability from your faith in Christ. Colossians 2.6 Therefore, as you have received the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, who is both Jesus and the Lord, 100% human, 100% God the Son, keep on walking in union with him in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Colossians 2.7 Already, having been firmly rooted by him, that's an agricultural analogy. What is a root? When a plant has a root, that's the foundation of the plant. That's where the plant gets all the nutrients from. And now being built up by him as a spiritual house. That's a construction analogy. After the root is solidified, then the foundation is built upon through our union with him. And now being firmly strengthened by him in your faith as you were being taught by him, overflowing right this moment with gratitude. Gratitude is a weapon in the spiritual life. Colossians 2.8 See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Now, I love that word elementary, because all of us went to elementary school. And what is elementary school? That's where they teach you the basics. Well, what most people are doing is learning the basics over and over and over and never moving on to maturity because they don't get the elementary lesson, and therefore they have to be taught that same lesson over and over again. Those are the students that drive me absolutely berserk. You have to keep telling them the same thing over and over, because they don't pay attention and grasp the lesson so that they can move on to the future lessons. Paul talked about this when he was teaching the Corinthians. He said, I want to give you meat, but I have to give you milk because you aren't developing any spiritual teeth. All right, well, when we return from the break, we'll see what Paul is communicating in this passage by studying it verse by verse with this new group of believers in Colossae. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery.
<laughs> Today's Bible lesson, do you have the discernment to recognize counterfeits to Christianity? Do you have the discernment to recognize counterfeits to Christianity? Well, God the Father loves all his creatures unconditionally. Have we got the mic? We good? 
Is it working? It's working. All right. So God the Father loves all his creatures unconditionally, and he loves us so much that he gave his son to save us. God the Father is not conflicted about giving. Are you? 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 say this, Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against his brother, how does the unconditional love of God abide in this person? 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, Little children, reference to believers in Christ, let us not love unconditionally with word or with tongue. In other words, love is not just talk. But let us love unconditionally with deeds and in truth. Let this be a time in your life when you realize what God the Father is able to do with what we give. Realize how important giving is as it makes life an amazing experience for those in need. Be generous with the gifts your God has given you. As Deacon Denny would say, our time gifts, our talent gifts, and our treasure gifts. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. And I should say good afternoon and good evening, because we're streaming around the world, and it could be all times of day for people that are tuning in. So thank you for tuning in. And thank you for... Two, check, check. You hear me now? Check, check. All right. Sounds good. All right, I'm thankful to be a deacon for Bra Ministries because at Bra Ministries, we're not afraid to say when we need help. We're not afraid to say we need help from God. The world likes to make fun of Christians and say that we, use God as a, we need God as a crutch. And they're right. I do need God as a crutch. Me too. But he's more than that. He's more than a crutch. He's my Uber because he drives. He gets me where I need to be at the right time and the right place, no matter what, even if I don't want to be there. And he knows what I need to experience, and he knows what I need to go through and depend on him. And so I'm thankful for that. And I'm, there's some examples in the Bible. You think of David or David and Goliath. He was outmatched and outnumbered, but he was in the right place at the right time. And he had faith in God. And we know the end of that story. He was victorious, and God was with him. And you think of another story that a lot of people don't think of is Esther, the, the queen of Persia. She went up against her queen and fought for the, the Jews to not be killed. She, had, she spoke for them and, and against her own life was trying to get their lives spared. And she was ultimately victorious and the Jews were able to be victorious in Persia. And the best example of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was crucified and people thought his mission was over. 
and that he was that it was done, that he was he had been defeated, but God was with him and he was resurrected. So he was in the right place at the right time, and he went through what he needed to go through to to create the plan to be in God's plan. So in the same way, if we take our time, our talent, and our treasure, and we apply that to God's plan, who can be against our money? Who can be against our time, our talent, and our treasure if God is with our time and with our treasure? There's nothing that can, can, can compete, that, compete with that. And we can even see it in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we believers in Christ say face to face with all these things? If God the Father is for us believers in Christ, and he is, who is ever going to be successful in opposition against us? Nobody. Nobody. So they can make fun of us and say we need a crutch or that we need an Uber in life and we need God. But they're right. We do need God and everybody needs God. So thank you for supporting this ministry that helps everybody that needs help and helps everybody that's willing to admit but that they need help from God. And so thank you very much for supporting this ministry, our pastor, and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome back, and thank you, Deacon Denny, for your always great messages. Today's Bible lesson, do you have the discernment to recognize the counterfeits to Christianity? Do you have the discernment to recognize the counterfeits to Christianity? Take a little bit of the base out of that, would you? So, what is discernment? Discernment is the possession and use of wisdom. Discernment is good judgment. Discernment is seeing things often overlooked by others. Uh, we used to call it uh, critical thinking skills. But that's what discernment is. And a lot of people just don't have, don't develop in themselves critical thinking skills. One of the great examples of this is somebody will tell you something about somebody else. And rather than understanding that there are two sides to every story, you will just accept whatever the, the person says about that person and then adopt that as your view. That is not discernment. 
Well, without truth in your soul, there is no discernment. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, I, Paul, want you believers in Christ at Colossae to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those believers in Christ who are at Laodicea and for as many believers in Christ who have not personally seen me face to face, including the believers at the third church, home-based church in that area in Aeropolis. Well, what is Paul saying here that he has a struggle for these new believers? Well, the Greek words for struggle are stronger. Paul is agonizing. Paul is travailing. Paul is hurting for these believers. And that's the struggle that we feel when we're thinking about people that we care about. We have a tremendous struggle for them. What do we want for the people we love? Here's Paul telling his protege Timothy, who was a pastor in training, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, With this assignment I am, trust, I am entrusting to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by these prophecies you are to fight the good fight of faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy was given the gift of pastor-teacher by God, and he was given the apostle Paul by God to help him develop the gift. 1 Timothy 1.19, and you are to keep on being in the faith and to keep on being of good conscience, continuous action, keep on doing it, which some believers in Christ have rejected. What have they rejected? The keep on doing it part, and as a result have suffered shipwreck regarding their faith. Loving parents don't want their children to suffer shipwrecks of any kind. Unfortunately, all parents know that we are raising people who can't wait to screw up their lives. All parents know that we are the rudders of our children, and they can't wait to rip the rudders off of themselves and run around without guidance. And see, the rudder is what steers a ship. And when you don't have a rudder, you're going to run into the rocks. You can't control where your boat goes. That's what teenage years are. When kids become teenagers, they just want to rip the rudders off. And the funny thing is, they want to rip the rudders off. They want to do exactly what they want to do, but they don't want to pay for it. They want to still stay at home with mommy and daddy so mommy and daddy can keep paying for them, but they want to make all their own decisions. And most of their decisions are stupid because they're listening to the wrong people. They're listening to people their own age. So when our kids shipwreck their lives, what do the people around us say? Oh, don't worry. They'll come around. I've been hearing that crap for years. Yeah, right. They'll come around because everyone always comes around, right? There's nobody that gets off track and just stays off track. No, that's not what happens, actually. People who are running off track a lot of times end up staying off track. So we need to know what the track is. There are some people who don't even know there is a track. So that's what Paul is talking about in Second Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, that his struggle is because when we love people, we don't want to see them off track. Well, he and Epaphras, who is the pastor of those three churches at 
Colossae Laodicea and Aeropolis, have prepared these believers very well. And when you prepare people very well, what happens? In come the false teachers with their false teaching to destroy all the work that Epaphras has started. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I'm struggling and striving, this is Paul talking, I'm struggling and striving so that your new self hearts may be encouraged by God. That's one of the great things about God. He is always encouraging us. He is never discouraging us. As your hearts are knit together in unconditional love by God, all believers in Christ are in unity. And it's a unity that you can't get out of. Why? Because God knit our hearts together. But we don't like unity. Satan doesn't like unity. And he's always trying to divide us. And it's always funny to me in the world when you hear all these people talking about, we really need to come together. We really need to stop being divisive. That's all there is in Satan's kingdom is divisiveness. And it's not going to come together. He doesn't have the power to bring it together. But God brought it together at the moment of salvation. Every time there's a believer in Christ, that person's heart is knit into a group of other believers in Christ. And it's knit together by this thing called unconditional love. We don't manufacture unconditional love. Dogs do. (laughs) God has to give us unconditional love, and then we get to choose to use it or not. So I'm struggling and striving so that your new self hearts may be encouraged by God as they are knit together in unconditional love by God, so that you may have all the spiritual riches that come from the full assurance of a complete understanding that results from a true knowledge of God's mystery, the mystery of Christ indwelling you church-age believers, the true knowledge of the Christ himself. I want to stop and have you look at that. I want you to look at the fact that when you're a believer in Christ, you get a series of gifts that stagger your imagination. You get spiritual riches. You get full assurance. You get complete understanding and true knowledge. Nothing is incomplete with God. That's why I say Christianity is perfection. Because with Christianity, there's nothing imperfect. Because the key word of Christianity is Christ. And Christ is perfect. So therefore, everything that he touches is perfect. Colossians 2, 3. The Christ, the Jewish Messiah, in whom are hidden by God the Father on deposit, all the treasures of spiritual wisdom and all the knowledge worth having. You want to be spiritual? You got to get to know Christ. You want to be wise? You have to get to know Christ. You have to study his mind. If not, you're getting Satan's wisdom and his wisdom is designed to destroy you. Look, our parents don't want us to hang around with people that lead us astray. They want us to know the truth that will set us free. Unfortunately, we have human parents, though. Our human parents have flaws. Let me repeat that, because maybe you didn't hear it. Our human parents have flaws. That's one of the things that always is funny to me about kids, is how shocked they are that their parents have flaws. Parents have flaws, and God saw fit to give us parents who have flaws. So, 
once the kids typically see their parents' flaws and they decide they can't learn from people with flaws, who do they turn to? People their age, people not only with more flaws, but with absolutely no experience. And we start listening to other teenagers and listening to other kids. Worse than that, we turn to ourselves. That's the worst thing you can do. So if we can't learn from people with flaws, why would we study of any of Paul's letters? Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. If we don't want to study with people with flaws, why are we studying with him? He was the most flawed person in human history. Galatians chapter 1.13 says this, For you Galatian believers have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. This is Paul talking how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He was single-handedly trying to wipe out the Christian church by killing men, women, and children. This is the guy we study with. So if you can't study with people with flaws, you got a problem. If you can't study uh, or, or respect a guy like King David, who Deacon Denny was talking about, who, yeah, he brought the giant to the ground with a slingshot and a stone, but he also, when he was supposed to be out with his men at war, was out on his balcony, looked over in the yard next door, and his best friend's wife was sunbathing naked. He invited her over into the castle, had sex with her, got her pregnant, brought his best friend back to the palace so it could be conceivable that he had slept with her and got her pregnant, but he wouldn't go and sleep with his wife when his men were on the battlefield because he had integrity and honor. And so David sent him to the front lines to be killed. If you can't respect an adulterer, conspirator, murderer, if you can't respect people with flaws, then the whole Bible is irrelevant to you because virtually everybody in the Bible has flaws. But they have something amazing to teach us. The only person that nobody's going to hang out with in heaven is Daniel. (laughs) Because there's nothing in here that I can find that Daniel did wrong. But the rest of us are flawed. That's why I don't like talking to people about the fact that I'm a pastor. And I've, I've changed that. But as soon as you tell somebody you're a pastor, they go into their legalistic superiority program. And they say, oh, God, I can't believe you swear. Why? Why can't you believe that? Oh, well, pastors shouldn't do that. Well, pastors shouldn't have flaws. Well, we do. And if you can't accept that, what's wrong with you? You have flaws. But see, people who are running the superiority program, they always forget that to look at themselves. And that if they did look at themselves, they'd find out that more of the things that are wrong are wrong with them than the person that they're pointing at. Amen? Amen. I didn't hear you. Amen. (laughs) Paul wanted to wipe out the Christian church. But what did God do? God stepped in and directed the worst person in human history to a new life for your benefit. And he wrote two-thirds of one of the most magnificent works, the most magnificent work in the history of mankind, the Bible. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. 
I, Paul, say this, this being the things in the previous series of verses, see, see to it that no one delude you with persuasive, fine-sounding argument. What are the persuasive arguments that Paul is warning the Colossian believers about? The smooth-talking Gnostics, these false teachers with their false teaching, are moving in on the three small home-based churches with seductive messages. What are those seductive messages? We've got a new mystery religion. We know more about Christ than you do. We know more about Christ than Paul. Paul, isn't he in jail? You're listening to somebody who's in jail? There's more you have to add to salvation to truly be saved. How many times have you heard that? You may be a believer in Christ, but are you a true believer in Christ? All these religious people, it's you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And it's always up in it. So, okay, you gotta do these three things. You got a one, you got a two, you got a three. So then you do those three things, and what's next? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. It never ends. We've got new books to help you understand the Bible better. The Book of Mormon, the Pearls of Great Price, the Doctrines and Covenants. Now, let's just stop right there. The Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints says that, yeah, the Bible's important, but there's the Book of Mormon and the Pearls of Great Price and the Doctrines and Covenants. Doesn't common sense tell you that if you're studying four books instead of one, that your effort's going to be diluted, diluted a little bit? Doesn't common sense tell you that? Roman Catholicism, there's the Bible, and there's the Catechism of the Catholic Church, only when I was a Roman Catholic, we never opened the Bible. Everything was about the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Doesn't it, doesn't it make sense to you that two books dilutes your effort? It takes you off focus. In Christianity, there's one book. It's the Bible. And the reason there's one book is because it's the exact thinking of God. That's it. Now, you don't have to believe that. You don't have to take that on faith. But check it out. And the thing that's so funny to me about the Bible is there is a, a series of laws called canonicity that were created by an unbeliever to tell whether biblical books were canonical. Because there's 66 books in the Bible, and throughout all time, there's always been this attempt to introduce new books. Oh, the Bible forgot one book, the book of Judas. <laughs> what would we want to hear from Judas? What would we want to hear from him? How, how to be a betrayer? The book of Thomas. Why would we want to listen to the doubting guy? So there's always these attempts. The Roman Catholic Bible's got... Four or five extra books in it. Maccabees. I, I don't even know. And of course, I was in a wedding once, and I had to do a reading. And what was the reading I was going to get? Was I going to get one of the biblical books? No, I got the Maccabees. Okay. That's great. So, these religions are always introducing new books because the Bible's not good enough. Or taking the Bible and translating it differently, the New World trans Translation of the Bible, because the Bible's so hard to understand. The Bible's not hard to understand. 
The New Testament is written in Koine Greek. Every expression in the language has one and only one interpretation. The Bible doesn't have to be interpreted. It just needs to be read, explained. Hebrew and Aramaic, the languages of the Old Testament, are very simply structured languages, easily translatable into any other language. Almost like there's a God and he knew what he was doing. The false teachers are always telling us, more is better. No, more is satanic. Christianity doesn't need more. It's perfect as it is. False teachers always bring you new things to consider. And when they do, people listen to their erroneous thoughts, turn them into beliefs, defend the erroneous beliefs, and reject the truth. They never check it out. For example, the truth, Jesus Christ is God. The lies, Jesus Christ is just a rabbi. Jesus Christ is just a teacher. Jesus Christ is just a holy prophet. Jesus Christ is a mighty messenger. Jesus is, the, is just one of many enlightened ones. Nobody comes to earth thinking that. When you come to earth, all you're thinking about is who's going to wipe my butt and who's going to give me some milk. You don't come with these thoughts. These thoughts are adopted. We learn from somebody else. Who? False teachers. But do we bother to compare these false teachings to what the Bible has to say? Only if we're smart. What does the Bible have to say about Jesus Christ? Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, For in Jesus Christ all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. What is that saying? Jesus Christ is God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 say this, It was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead, on the third day. That makes him very unlike anybody ever because he is the only one who has been raised from the dead according to the Old Testament scriptures. Continuing in 1 Corinthians 15, and that after his resurrection from the dead, he appeared to Cephas, Simon Peter, the apostle who betrayed him, and then to the twelve, the nickname for the Apostles. There were only 11 of them at this time because Judas had killed himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 6, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 believers in Christ at one time in the upper room, most of whom remain alive until now, but some have fallen asleep. Some are physically dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, And then he appeared to James, his half-brother, who didn't believe in him until he was resurrected from the dead, even though he lived in the same household with him for 33 years, and then to all the apostles. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, And last of all, as if to one who was untimely born, he appeared to me, Paul, also. So Jesus Christ does not expect us to have blind faith. He was resurrected from the dead, and then after that, he showed himself to people as resurrected from the dead. They saw him slaughtered on the cross, and then after that, they saw him alive again. Our Savior is alive. He is not dead, and he is not on a cross. 
He is off the cross. The truth, the Bible is the exact thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. The lies, the Bible is not the word of God. The Bible is out of date. The Bible has a lot of contradictions. The Bible is just the opinion of a bunch of guys. The Bible is just one of many holy texts. The Bible teaches things that are immoral and intolerant, like gender. (laughs) It teaches that there are males and females. And of course, because all of a sudden in the world, you can be non-binary, whatever that means, then the Bible's inaccurate. It is not. What does the Bible say about itself? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this, All Scripture is God-breathed into the writers of Scripture and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be mature, totally equipped for every good work. What does the Bible say about itself? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say this, No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of any person's own private interpretation. And no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will. These, these men were not writing their opinions. They were writing what was being dictated to them by God the Holy Spirit. Men directed from the source. God, the Holy Spirit, the one who leads us into all the truth, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you decide, is what the Bible is saying about itself consistent with your erroneous beliefs? Forget what unbelievers think. You would be astounded at what supposed believers in Christ say about the Bible. If Paul knew what they were saying today, he would scream, You foolish believers, who has bewitched you? Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. For even though I am absent in body, this is Paul talking to the Colossians, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, and I'm rejoicing, because I'm seeing your good discipline from your faith in Christ, and I'm seeing your stability from your faith in Christ. Paul is telling the Colossian believers, Your faith encourages me. I'm happy about your freedom from delusion. I'm happy to hear how grounded you are with the truth. Now, encouragement from Paul to live a special life, the Christian way of living, comes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says this, Therefore, as you have received the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, in grace and in truth, who is both Jesus and the Lord, who is both 100% human as Jesus and 100% God the Son as the Lord in one person forever. Keep on walking in your union with Him in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Colossians 2.7 Already having been firmly rooted by Him and now being built up by Him as a spiritual house, through our union with him and now being firmly strengthened by him in your faith as you were being taught by him. Notice the passive voice, the passive voice, the passive voice. You're being acted upon and overflowing right this moment with gratitude. See, that's where people get in trouble in the spiritual life. 
religion is telling you, you have to do, 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 the do-do life. God's saying, I'm going to do it for you, I'm going to do it for you, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to save you, I'm going to grow you, I'm going to perfect you. When I save you, I'm going to give you my righteousness, and you can't lose it, and that's your admission ticket to heaven. And then I'm going to take that righteousness and grow it in you. All I need you to do is come and hear the word. I need you to hear what I'm doing for you. It's not an accident that we have parents when we are children. Because who's doing all the work? The parents. Kids aren't doing anything. They ain't paying any bills. Can't even get them to make up the bed half the time. Amen? Yeah, the only, only people who said anything are parents. Kids, you need to make up your damn beds. <laughs> so, <laughs> passive voice over and over and over again in Colossians chapter 7. There is nothing better in this life than crafting a lifestyle powered by the Lord. And gratitude is a weapon. When we realize that the Lord has sacrificed for us, and that's the whole thing about these prophets, all these prophets. Did any of them die for you? Did any of them die for your sins? They didn't. So what's their skin in the game? What's their sacrifice? What did they do for you? What was hard for them? Did they live a sinless life? No. Did they get slaughtered when they didn't deserve it? No. But Jesus did. So when we realize that the Lord has sacrificed for us and we bring it constantly to mind, it's almost impossible to dislodge us from our faith in Him. The final warning of the passage is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this. I love the Greek here. Love it. See to it that no one takes you captive. What does that mean? In the Greek, that means see to it that no one kidnaps you with evil seduction designed to plunder you. Through what? Through philosophy, through empty deceit, according to the traditions of men. I studied the Greek culture in high school and college. Very, very, very smart people in the Greek culture, the philosophers, all of them in the lake of fire. Aristotle said, there's an unmoved mover. You're right. Who is he? Never named him. It's Jesus Christ. Never named him. They were so smart, but they never got to the truth. And that's what's meant by here by philosophy. Empty deceit. What's that? Lies. And all you do is pull back the covers on the lies, and what do you see? You don't see the Wizard of Oz. You see a little man with a microphone. According to the traditions of men, people say, oh, you're going to be so much more spiritual if you just do this. If you commit a sin, I know Christ paid for all your sins at the cross, but if you commit a sin and you just admit it, when you commit a sin, you're out of fellowship with God. But if you just identify name, sight, and admit the sin to God, you're back in fellowship. That's a bunch of crap. But there, is, there it is, the traditions of men. If you keep sinning after salvation, you're going to have blackout of the soul. 
No. No, prove it. Go to the Bible and prove it. Well, just take my word for it. No. These are the traditions of men. Is that what you want? According to the elementary principles of the world. What's that? Let's go back to grammar school. That's the elementary principles of the world. Satan's world system is always taking you back to you've got to keep the rules or eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Rather than according to the thinking, the principles of Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive through kidnapping, with evil seduction to plunder you. What does it mean to plunder someone? It means to, it's the dishonest acquisition of property. That's what pirates used to do. Arrgh! They would plunder another ship. What would they do? Steal all their stuff. Well, that's exactly what happens in your spiritual life. I can hear June Murphy right now singing, We Are God's Property. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 say this, Or do you not know, believers in Christ, that your body is the temple of God the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you, the Spirit whom you have from God the Father? You are not your own. When you become a believer in Christ, you become a possession of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 20. For you believers in Christ have been bought with a price. What's the price? Jesus Christ's blood at the cross. Therefore, glorify God in your body. False teachers want to steal you. They're plundering you. They want to steal your mind. They're plundering your mind to use it for their dishonest purposes. Don't let them. We are surrounded by an enemy who wants to destroy us. The Lord is having none of it. And Paul is encouraging the Colossian believers to have none of it as well. What he's begging them to do is don't turn into the Galatian believers. Don't adopt Christianity and then turn to legalism. Don't listen to the false teachers. Don't listen to their false teaching. Don't believe them. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, is the perfect exhortation to close this passage of the study. It says this, Therefore, I, Paul, beg you, believers in Christ, as you keep on being persuaded because of the many mercies of God, continuous action, the more and more you get to know God, the more and more you're going to know how amazing He is. Present your bodies by choice, not by command, as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God the Father, which is your spiritual service, and it's called worship. There is no better way to foil Satan and his plans than by worshiping the Lord in a way that Satan was unwilling to do. Satan was unwilling to follow the leader. Don't be like him. Well, the closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone, anywhere, who is undecided or confused about what it takes to have a relationship 
with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For anyone who's confused about what it takes to get to heaven, I asked somebody this morning, what does it take to get to heaven? And she said, you got to die. That's half of it. That's the first part. That's very good. But there's another part, and this is the key part right here. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants is for you to make the most important decision of your life. And you can make that decision at a single moment in time with the results that stand finished forever. There's a person at the center of Christianity, Christ. He is the most important being in the universe. He is the sovereign God. He is the preeminent God. He is the one and only God. He created you. He loves you unconditionally. And he wants a relationship with you. And that's good news for you. The bad news is that you were born with a problem. From the moment of your physical birth, God considered you a sinner. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says this, It is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. These verses are a formal accusation from God against you. And in a court of law, that's called an indictment. It's not your fault that you're a sinner from physical birth, but it is your circumstance. Unfortunately, being a sinner has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, For the payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death. As a sinner, you commit personal sins. And God requires perfection for you to get into heaven. So those who sin don't meet God's perfect standards. Trying to make up for your sins by being a good person or trying to work your way into heaven with imperfect deeds doesn't impress God at all. But the gospel message is good news concerning what the Lord did to fix the bad news for sinners. Jesus Christ paid a price with his blood on a cross so that sinners can be saved. Sin has to be paid for. Christ did it for everyone. And all you have to do is claim what he did for you. Responding to his gospel message is the chance to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what the Lord said to a self-righteous Pharisee, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 3. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, the spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God the Father in heaven. We are born spiritually dead, and we need to be born again, the spiritual birth. Fortunately for you, God the Father wants you in heaven. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind. And that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. Who does Christ want in heaven? Who does God the Father want in heaven? Everybody. Whosoever. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures 
and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. Absolute righteousness is the admission ticket to heaven. It's the key to eternal life, the resurrection life, and it is yours free of charge. Right now, right where you sit, if you want absolute righteousness, you can ask for it. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 to 11 say this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, choosing faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. For Scripture says, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. I don't have righteousness on my own. I have righteousness because God gave it to me, and you can have the exact same thing. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, not as a future event, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. If you don't want Jesus Christ to take the wrath of God for your sins, then you have to do it yourself. I do not recommend that. There is a hell. And it is a very real place. It is not a concept. And it is, it is described this way in the Bible in Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 43. It says, The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, unbelievers, and those who commit lawlessness, unbelievers, and the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew thirteen forty three. Then the righteous, believers in Christ, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. See, this has nothing to do with you being a good person. It has everything to do with you accepting the work that Christ did for you at the cross. For those without a relationship with Christ, because they rejected that relationship, he'll just ask them to step to the left and take the elevator. Just press down. Getting to heaven is easy. Here it is, the answer to the quiz. How do you get to heaven? Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Sinners need a savior. Once you accept Jesus as a savior, you are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. The savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you will be saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close with music. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, false teachers will introduce false teaching to lure you into theological error. It's the tribulation we sign up for when we become Christians. The Lord would say to us, I never promised you a rose garden. Here's June Murphy.
with a song of encouragement when we are attacked by the kingdom of death and darkness, a song based on James's admonitions. Count it all joy. nice things to June when I'm on. All right, let us pray.
All right, well, first we'll do a doxology. Words of praise to our Lord and words of encouragement for you. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of his glorious riches, both of the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable are his ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Keep on being made complete. Keep on being comforted by God. Keep on being like-minded. Keep on living in peace. And the God and Father of unconditional love and peace will be with you. Pay attention, fish. This is a good part. Pay attention. Stop disturbing your mom. 2 Corinthians 13, 15. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And when we study your word, it gives us life. It gives us hope. It gives us a reason to live. Your word encourages us because as we learn more about you, we know that we are worshiping someone with character, someone we can count on, and someone with our best interests in mind. And as we go forth for, into the world for another week, into the spiritual battle, as we enter into Satan's kingdom to be pelted with his propaganda and his lies, let the things we learn today illuminate the lies, keep us on the straight path to the glory that you have planned for us, and help us to gravitate to the truth in such a way that it invites others to embrace the truth as well. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor. Pastor at BaranMinistries.com. And I always look forward to it that none of you send me anything. It's just phenomenal. And keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.